the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. This series is called Living Faithfully and how we're learning how to stay true to the Lord, living as devoted disciples in a culture and a context that isn't friendly to our biblical worldview. That's a problem. We're, we're, we're living in this world right now that's kind of antagonistic toward the morals and values, beliefs, and principles that are found in the Bible. Today, we live in this context that's really dark. Our culture is in steep decline, and many have said we are in a post-Christian society. I'm thinking, whoa. It was uh, Francis Schaeffer, who is a theologian and a pastor, who posed this question, how should we then live? I thought, whoa, that's a big question. In his book with the same title, he focused on the decline of Western culture and the reasons for why we are where we are. And he came to what I, I believe, I agreed with his conclusion. And he, this was his only viable option. He said, in the midst of all this decline, he said, there's these three things. We're to live by the Christian ethic. We're to accept God's revelation and a total affirmation of the Bible's morals, values, and meaning. And I'm thinking, okay, that's about all we got left. The problem is for Francis Schaeffer that the Bible's morals and values weren't embraced by the culture of the 70s that he was living in. And uh, let alone even more so, I believe, in this new millennium, more than 50 plus years later, it's still, we are counter culture if we have a biblical worldview. That's your first blank. Would you fill this in? I believe that much of our problem will be resolved. The problems that we go from day to day are going to be resolved if we can find the answer to the question, how should we then live? I debate on that being the title of this series. We got to find the answer to that question, how should we then live? And I got to tell you, I agree again with Schaefer, the best and the only place to start is in God's word. He gave us his word. He gave us this, this narrative, this, this storyline. I said, okay, this is what he's wanting us to pay attention to. And for this series, I want us to learn the lessons of those who were in exile and captivity. You probably saw that on the title slide. That's where we're heading into. I believe the exile scenario best describes the context that we're living in today. And lucky for us, the Bible has a lot to say about living in exile. Just take a look at this definition, the word, the exile, the word exile. Check out this definition. To be in exile means to be forcefully banished away from one's home, right? So now, usually this means being refused permission to return home or being threatened with imprisonment or even death if you did come home. So you're not allowed to be here, but if you do come back, we're going to kill you. That's a great motivation to stay away. But that's, that's what exiled means. Now, you can observe exile cover to cover. Literally, the whole Bible is filled with exile. At the very beginning, right here, very beginning, Adam and Eve are forced from the, to leave garden, the Garden of Eden. Based on their decisions, they are exiled from the garden. Way back, way back over here. John is exiled on the island of Patmos. 
Why? Because of his testimony, because of his preaching, he's been exiled. So there, there it is. And then again, in the maps, you'll find exile as well because that's when they were exiled there and in Babylon, it's all there. The beautiful part is it's on all the pages in between too. You will find exile everywhere. It's just everywhere. If you have eyes to see. And so I'm hoping in this series to open our eyes and say, oh, I got to put on a different pair of lenses. Oh, wow. It is everywhere. You'll see it. Let me just give you a few examples. Abraham, he is exiled from his relatives and native country to a land that Yahweh is going to show him. Right? This is the beginning of a covenant. I'm going to get to a little bit later. Then Jacob, after lying to his father, is exiled to protect him from his brother, right? Who's after him. He's like, you know what? You can't be here anymore. You need to go somewhere else. Joseph, he spends decades exiled. He's been sold into slavery. He's thrown into prison. He's living in Egypt. The Hebrew people, they spend 430 years living in the exiled imprisonment, slavery under the pharaohs of Egypt. Moses never lived outside of exile, never had a place I call home. Moses was always in exile. And I want you to understand this. Listen, all of that happened. And I haven't even left the first book of the Bible yet. That's just Genesis. The people living in exile and it's page after page after page. You get into the new Testament and you know where it starts? Jesus living in exile. Jesus is no longer at home in the heavens, but he comes to earth and he's exiled here for 33 plus years. But then you continue on in the New Testament. Just think about it for a minute. Almost the entire book of Acts is about the persecution and the scattering of the followers of Jesus living in exile. Not at home because of the persecution and killing. Things that are going on, they're, they're dispersed. The majority of the New Testament letters are all written in the context of exile. From jail cells to foreign lands, the people of God, listen to me, are away from the place they belong. I'm not, this isn't my home. And it's not just the Jews of the Old Testament. It's not just the Christians of the New Testament. Lots of people are living in exile today in this present testament. At the turn of the century, Adolf Hitler hunted down the Jews who were exiled and scattered all over Europe. He went after them. There are Christians today all around the globe forced from their homes and living in exile. None of that takes into account those that we have relationally exiled. We've done it, right? As a punishment for their actions. We don't talk to our parents, our siblings, our neighbors, friends, for a variety of reasons. Betrayal, abuse, gossip. I don't talk to them anymore. They are, we, we have a phrase for it, right? They are dead to me, right? That they are exiled. Some of us are living and suffering in self-imposed exile. I just can't go back to that place. Even our children learn early on. Our children learn about living in exile. You ready? You're in time out. You're grounded. Go to your room. That's exile. You have been separated from the normal movement. This is all exile. My number one prayer for the church is on behalf of the exiles, the wanderers, the prodigals, the nomads, to be gathered from the north, the south, the east, and west, to speak to them all, to those that have been separated and and cut off. Come back home. 
That's my prayer. Well, we're going to unpack for the next several weeks a specific exile known as the captivity. Now, the captivity is, is a wild one because it's, it's pretty lengthy, all right? 70 years that's happening, and we'll get into it in, throughout the series. But take a look at the definition for the word captivity. This is a definition. Captivity is about being confined. It's you're in a particular space, prevented from leaving, moving freely. And I love the dictionary. Even the dictionary gives the additional note, short for the Babylonian captivity. That's in the dictionary. Captivity is short for the Babylonian captivity. Now, we, we know captivity on a regular basis. Animals are held captivity as pets, in zoos, as livestock. We know that criminals experience captivity. They are imprisoned, unable to move about society. This is all captivity. Right now, many of us are being held captive by all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons. And yet Jesus said this. I want you to hear me. I have come to set the captive free. I have come to set the oppressed free. It's Jesus who wants to restore our hope. Our hope for something better than this? Fill this in. It's not just the church gathered that wins the world, but the church scattered that shows the beauty of Jesus to a world that is short on hope. How is it that we can be scattered, and we are scattered in these days, how is it we can be scattered and yet filled with hope? We have to have our focus on the right things. And if there was ever a season in the Western church where we have felt scattered, it is right now. Now, before I continue, I can hear it already. Some are responding with, but I'm not in exile. Well, just, just take it in a, very, in a very harmless exile. We're in quarantine. We're not able to see each other. We're cut off from our normal movements. Maybe we're not in a physical exile, but have you ever thought about exile spiritually? Look at how the Bible frames our lives. I'm just gonna run through these scriptures here. Here's what Jesus said in John 15, 19. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. You hear that? And then, and then Peter, he writes this encouragement. Dear friends, I warn you, I'm warning you as temporary residents and foreigners. Oh, yeah. Keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Listen to this, because if they accuse you of doing wrong, watch, they're going to see your honorable behavior, and they're going to give honor to God when he judges the world. Oh, bottom line is this, the world is not our home. Look at the way Paul says it in Philippians 3. He says, we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Jesus is no longer exiled to the planet. He went home. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior and take us home. Oh, we understand our responsibility while we're here though. God gave us the task. He gave us the message of reconciling people. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Oh, we are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who doesn't live where they're from. They're a representative from somewhere else. God is making his appeal 
through us ambassadors. We speak for Christ when we plead. Here's my prayer to all the exiles, prodigals, nomads, right? Come back to God. Oh, where can we see how God teaches us? How, how, how is the, where's the place in the word where we learn how to live as temporary residents, as aliens, as foreigners, as ambassadors? Rather than looking at the New Testament, as is often, I think we just kind of look to the New Testament. I like to read about Jesus. Rather than look at the New Testament writings to discover on the, the answer to the question, how should we then live? In this series, we're going to look together at the Babylonian exile, the captivity of the people of Israel. And I want to drill down into the Old Testament, into the instructions that are found in Jeremiah, in Daniel, in Malachi, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Amos. It's these Old Testament exile accounts, and you can fill this in. This is what the early Christians relied on for instructions. As the early Christians were dispersed, they were scattered all over in the New Testament. This is what the early Christians were looking at. They're saying, what did Daniel say we're supposed to do? What did Ezekiel say we're supposed to do? What did Isaiah say we're supposed to do? See, but we have this tendency to stay away from these prophetic books. Well, here's what I want to share. If we're going to remain away from and ignorant of the knowledge and the depth of instruction that's found in these prophetic books, I believe it's to our detriment and to our disadvantage. If we stay away from these, these prophets, we're like, I just don't get it. I, I'm just going to, I want to learn about Jesus, right? Listen, there is, some, there is some stuff in here that is directly for us. I think that we stay away from the prophets for a variety of reasons. I think some of it's history. Does it really apply? What's the connection? How is that relevant to living today? I think some people are confused by the prophets. There's kingdoms, and then there's these tribes, and there's these kings and these battles, and then you got Rehoboam and Jeroboam and Elijah and Elisha. I can't even keep the name straight, right? It's, it's just confusing, right? I think some people are intimidated by the prophetic books. There's so much information. What does it all mean? I, I don't understand it all. And lastly, and I think it all comes down to this, I think it's all born out of this, and that is fear. God says a lot of scary stuff in there and it freaks people out. That's the bottom line. It's like, whoa. So I think what happens is people go, I don't want to read that. And they stay away from these prophetic. We, we just need to move beyond this kind of reasoning if we're going to properly prepare ourselves for the season that we're living in. While we're looking through the accounts of the Israelites in this series, while they're living in exile in Babylon, we're going to examine the lifestyle practices that God outlines for his people. He says, hey, listen, while you're there, you need to live like this. As long as you're exiled, you need to have these practices in your life. You need to have this be a regular part of what you're doing. So what do we do? How can we position ourselves to not just survive, but to thrive until we return to our homeland? And I'm saying that, listen to me, our homeland, remember, we're citizens of heaven. We are temporary residents here. We're just, the old King James says, sojourning through, right? This is not my home. My hope is that as we look at the history of the people of God, we will learn from it. In fact, we've all heard that phrase, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You've heard that before. Well, it just came out of the Bible. Anything true comes right out of the word. Here's what Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 11 says. History merely repeats itself. 
It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people will say, hey, here's something new. But actually, it's old. Nothing's ever truly new. See, we don't remember what happened in the past. Listen to this now. And in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Beloved, you've got to know this is coming right out of one of the wisdom books, Ecclesiastes. We need to be paying attention to this. Now, in this new series, we're going to be looking at a lot of the Old Testament. (laughs) Are you ready? Okay, because the Bible records this overview history of the covenant people of Israel. And not all the details, but a lot of details. Can I show you something? Pastor Ashton, would you come on up here? I I want you to see this. Now, this is kind of intimidating. (laughs) Your brain is like going, right? Listen, this, listen, this is the biblical timeline. It is so long, they can't put it lengthwise. They have to do it in a circle because the timeline is so long. Now, listen, I know some of you are doing that whole Twilight Zone thing like, you're you're dizzy looking at it. And it is dizzying. But, beloved, this is what it means to to understand the Bible. Oh, this connects to this. Oh, this connects with this. Oh, that's why this happened. In the Old Testament, the New Testament is contained. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is explained. I want you to hear it because they refer to one another. Now, thanks, Pastor Ash, and I appreciate it. Now, please know this. <laughs> it's, it's understanding the Bible and going, oh, watch. Have you ever looked at your family tree and said, oh, man, check that out. I had my grandfather committed suicide. My father committed suicide. My brother committed suicide. <gasps> Have you ever made those connections? My grandmother was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic. Three of my sisters are alcoholics. Have you ever made the connections? This is why it's so important that you and I become students of the word. Because we have a family tree right here saying, hey, this is what you're up against. This is what's being passed down to you. It's so important that we become students of the word. And we take it in day by day. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we just begin to look at it. Now, in this series, to start it, I'm going to do a quick historical flyover of that huge chart you just saw, (laughs) right? So you're like, oh boy, this is your captain speaking. Please fasten your seatbelts, right? (laughs) Listen, we're going to move. It all starts with the 12 tribes of the Hebrews arriving in the land flowing with milk and honey. 40 years out of that 430 years I was talking about earlier in Genesis, the 430 years way back over here, they get out of Egypt and they land in the land and they arrive in the land flowing with milk and honey. They're in this covenant relationship spelled out in Deuteronomy 28. God promises this. If you obey me, you're going to thrive under blessings. But the penalty for violating this covenant, you will suffer under curses. This is the way it's spelled out. During the first few hundred years, the Israelites live in the land, right? Promised by God. That's called the promised land, right? They, they experience a series of ups and downs. They're guided in the beginning by a series of leaders, a system of leaders referred to as judges. You've seen that book, right? And eventually, while Samuel is leading, he's the last of the judges. The people of Israel, we want a king. We want a king, right? Eventually, Samuel goes, okay, well, God's response to He's going to give you a king. But listen, you get to have a monarchy, but it comes with this warning. Are you ready? You're going to be taxed. You're going to be subjected to abuse at the hands of human kings. You still want it? Yeah, we want a king. I'm like, duh, right? What in the world are they thinking? Their first king is named Saul. He's handsome. He's hasty right? He gets removed. David comes in. He's made king. Then his son Solomon is made king. Solomon passes away. 
He dies. He leaves his throne to his son, Rehoboam. And he begins his reign emphatically stating that he's going to be an especially oppressive king. I'm like, wow, fully going in saying, well, God said, you know, you're going to, you're going to suffer. So I'm going to be the, it's going to be at my hand. Oh, it's amazing. And I got to tell you, by the way, that decision right there, Rehoboam's decision is a teaching, a lesson deserving of its own teaching. I, we, we've got to get into it sometime. It led to Israel's 12 tribes being divided into two competing kingdoms. They have never been together since. Here's the competing kingdoms. Check this out. The larger of the two is the northern kingdom. It keeps the, the name Israel, and it's got 10 of the tribes. And then the smaller kingdom, which is to the south, has its capital in Jerusalem. That was called Judah, and it's only got two tribes. Okay, how's everybody doing? Any oxygen masks drop down? Is everybody okay? Everybody's still breathing, right? Right? It's like, geez, Louise, I just moved through a lot of the Old Testament. Okay, Let, let's let's keep going because there's just a little bit more we got to get through just to get us up to up to where we need to be to get into this series. The divided kingdom is the beginning of a long history of violating the covenant that God made with His people. Again, starting with Abraham. Uh, the sins of the northern kingdom, Israel, right, up to the north, they were pretty blatant. They violated the original covenant that God made to them. They adopt the practices of pagan nations, uh, including child sacrifice. It's like, what, you doing what? You can't do that. God told you not to do that, right? Just that's one of the things the Canaanites who used to live in this promised land, this fertile crescent of the Old, of the Old Testament in, in Israel, right? They, the Canaanites lived there. Well, this is some of the things they did. They said, well, let's keep doing that. It worked for them. Not so good. They were all kicked out. Remember? Come on, you guys. Well, they also copied the Canaanites' practices of sexuality and idol worship. They combined those two things. And while this is happening, the northern kingdom, while all this madness that I just outlined is happening, the northern kingdom has got this great prosperity. It's the most affluent time in the history of Israel. It's at the height of power that we see the depth of arrogance. While you see wealth and luxury, you also see carnality and oppression. Sound familiar at all? In the midst of the greatest time, there's this craziness that's going on as well. The spiritual disgrace and the moral decay of the people is at an all-time low. Amos records it for us. And so God sends the prophets. He sends Elijah and Hosea and Amos and Micah. And, he's, and he sends these prophets and says, hey, you guys need to repent. And it's always the same, right? It's always the same. No real lasting, oh, we're sorry. Can we get out of trouble, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please don't spank me. And we've all heard that right? I, whatever I got to do, I got to say I'm sorry so that I can get out of the punishment. That's what happened over and over again. Finally, God's patient runs out. And during the eighth century, he allows them to be taken into captivity by a nation called Assyria. Assyria comes in. And after that, they were scattered. The Northern kingdom alone, those 10 tribes were now known as the lost 10 tribes of Israel. There's all over the Middle East. And it, beloved, listen to me. Those 10 tribes are still, listen to me, scattered all over the Middle East. That is the cause of the, the chaos for the land of Israel today. We all still claim a promise to that. And so we're living in all these Middle Eastern countries. This is the tribe of this tribe. We, we, own, the, we own the promised land. We own the promised land. We own the promised land. Everybody still wants that land. It's still, that's why the story of Rehoboam and his decision to divide those kingdom, the two kingdoms into the 12 tribes, right? 
It's so important because we're living in his decision. We live in that chaos even today. 12 tribes still vying for the possession of this little tiny strip along the Mediterranean Sea known as Israel. And each tribe is claiming ownership of this land. Well, while all this is happening in the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, remember Judah, it's down here, right, is in total decline. It's just not happening as rapidly as the northern kingdom. Judah and its people are going into idolatry, rebellion. They're not learning the lessons. While watching the northern kingdom of Israel, Judah's down here going, wow, look at everything that's happened to them. Let's go do the same thing. Right? What are you doing? No, don't do that, right? Well, they're threatened by Assyria. Assyria took over the northern kingdom. And so now Assyria says, let's take over that southern kingdom as well. But the king, Hezekiah of Jerusalem, he says, oh God, help us, help us, help us. God hears this prayer. Man, God is so gracious to us, isn't he? God is so gracious to me. There are times I'm thinking I should have been taken off into captivity, but I threw out that prayer. Oh God, help me. And he helps me. Grace is poured out on Hezekiah. God intervenes. And he delivers Jerusalem from the Assyrian leader, right? It's all, it all gets thwarted, right? But then after Hezekiah dies, his son, Manasseh, he starts to reign and he brings in all kinds of madness. Again, Manasseh is one of the kings who sacrificed his own son to one of the idols of the Canaanites. It's an amazing story. But the Bible summarizes all the relationship that he has, that God has with Judah. He summarizes like this. Look at this, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Look, at, look what it says. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them because he had compassion on his people and on his temple that's in Jerusalem. But the people mocked mocked these messengers of God. They despised the words the prophets came with. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. And you know what happens? The same thing that happened to the Northern Kingdom. They were carried off into captivity. Well, not by the Assyrians, by the way. The Babylonians came in and conquered the Assyrians, and now the Babylonians are in charge, and they're just picking up where the Assyrians left off. Now, I realize that some of this, again, I want you to realize that big spiral map. The reason I want to know this is because I don't want to repeat this. Personally, relationally, and listen to me, beloved, nationally. I don't want to repeat this. Essentially, the Babylonians come in Jerusalem is demolished. Survivors are marched off into captivity over 600 miles away, walking in the desert from Israel to Babylon. Whew. Okay, breathe. All right, listen. Uh, contents may have shifted as in, in that turbulence right there, right? We're done. That, that's the history. I, I, have I brought you up to speed? You kinda, you've kind of heard some of these things before, I'm sure, but, but now you understand. That's what got us here into the captivity as exiles. Here's what got us here. We chose rebellion. This is the people of Israel from way back here. They had the judges, remember all those things. And now, boom, now we're here as captives. And again, if you made it this far, I'm so proud of you. If you didn't turn off your stream, you're still like, ah, oh, this water's great. Let's keep, because I got more for us. I have more for us this morning. Question is, what are we supposed to learn as 21st century Americans based on these two narratives of Israel, 
of Judah. What are we supposed to be pulling out of that? For starters, we better hear that it's God who gives blessings to nations and it's God who takes them away. That is very clear. Throughout scripture, you can see it. I have blessed this nation. I'm lifting my hand of protection from this nation. It happens over and over and over again. When a nation disobeys God and ignores God, preferring instead the false gods of money, of sex, of secularism, historically speaking, you can see it every time. It's a matter of time before the hand of God is lifted up. But what I want to focus on in this series is what's called the remnant. Now, that's a word you've heard before, the remnant. I've heard of remnant, right? It's that small remaining quantity of something where a greater part has been used or sold off, right? Well, biblically, a remnant is what's left of a community after it undergoes catastrophe. It's the people. The remnant is the people. Fill this, fill this blank in for me. The concept of biblical remnant is a recurring theme all over the Old Testament, but it can clearly be seen still in the New Testament. It's remnant. The Old Testament remnant includes all those people who remain faithful on captivity in, in Babylon and Assyria. We, we know some of the names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They're all oppressed under Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar. We read about that in Daniel 1. Daniel continues to be subjugated under additional conquering kings, Cyrus of Persia, Darius the Mede. He stays, he stays with, under all this oppression. A significant number of the Jews who were scattered throughout Persia after the Babylonian exile, they'd been granted freedom to return to Israel, but they stayed in their exiled lands. It's like, well, this is home to us now, and I don't want to go back to war-torn Jerusalem, right? Mordecai, you remember him? He, he was threatened with death in the Persian capital of Susa. You can read about that in Esther, right? Esther was living in Persia. She could have gone back to Jerusalem. She chose not to. In the New Testament, the remnant includes all those who remain faithful while the church is dispersed in persecution. The disciples, Peter, James, John, are all part of the remnant. First, under the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, but then under the Roman oppression. And they're, they're all sent out. Stephen is killed. We read about that in Acts chapter 6. Stephen is killed, and believers are scattered all over the place. A man named Saul, not to be confused with that first king of Israel I was talking about earlier. There's another one, right? He was one of the persecutors over the death of Stephen. And it's not until after he has an encounter with Jesus, he gets his name changed to Paul, that he becomes one of the persecuted, one of the persecutees, right? He changes position. But this, this exile, this remnant is everywhere. And listen to me, beloved. I believe it's the core theme underlying the entire biblical narrative and storyline. It is everywhere. How do I live as a remnant in the middle of exile while being captive somewhere where I don't belong? So what we're going to do is we're going to study this exiled remnant in captivity for the, for the rest of this series. We're going to answer several questions. Here's the questions we're going to go after. How do we live faithfully when we're not in our promised land? What can we do to thrive when we're surrounded by people who oppose us? And if the culture that we're living in is contrary to our beliefs and our values that were given to us by God through covenant, how should we then live? Israel's captivity in Babylon is a great picture of all of humanity's, listen to me, exile from Eden. 
That's our home. I am homesick for Eden. I don't know about you, but I wasn't made for this place. 116 degree weather in Jesus' name. But how are we supposed to live as the exiled remnant? That's the key to this series. And would you fill this in? I'm gonna, uh, here's a spoiler alert. You ready? Fill this in. Jesus is the only way and Jesus is the only one who can get us home again. Oh, I'm not waiting for a, a king. I'm not waiting for the right president to be elected. I'm not, listen, no, my hope is in none of those people. No politician will ever, listen to me, rescue me from this captivity. This exile is a spiritual exile. I don't belong here. I was made to be in relationship with God in Eden and beloved, so are you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I, I want to pray that you get that relationship today. It's important. If you feel alone, if you feel exiled, if you feel captive, remember I told you, what did Jesus say? I came to set the captives free. I came, I came that you might have liberty, that the oppression that you feel, gosh, I just don't feel like I fit in in society. You're not supposed to. With biblical values, it just doesn't fit. We are countercultural. But there are some out there who are listening to this teaching this morning. You're like, after you, after you kind of fix your hair after all that wind, turbulence, you're like, wow, that was the Old Testament in a whirlwind, right? Listen, you're realizing, oh, I don't think I have a relationship. I, I don't think I'm in relationship with God the way you're talking about. Oh, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that you have this time. This is your moment to make your relationship right with God. Because, listen to me, you were exiled from Eden along with me because sin is inside of all of us. We can, we can mess around with social structures. We can try and legislate morality the bottom line is sin is still here so no matter what we build it's still based on sin god can heal you of that god wants to heal you of that and he gave jesus as the way we were created for that relationship with god but we have free will so i get to do what i want to do and he goes okay you can do what you want to do it's not going to be good you're going to be putting time out you're going to be away from me you're going to be away from this comforting relationship. God's love says, come back to me. And that's why Jesus was exiled. He came here. He said, come back to God. So would you accept Jesus today so that you can have a right relationship with God who has desired that relationship. He's desired to make his relationship right with you ever since. I'm going to pray with you. If that's you and you want to pray with me, listen, I'll do the praying. You just, you just do the agreeing, okay? You say, yeah, that's what I want, Lord, that. Jesus, for those who are hearing me today and they say, oh my gosh, that's, that's what I need. I, I need. I need covering. I need to be made right. There's this, this noise inside of me, this constant tearing. I pray, Father God, that those who hear me this morning and they're saying, I want to be made right with God. Today's your day. The Bible says that today's the acceptable day to accept him. Today's the day to make that decision. And so if that's you today, I want you to know I'm agreeing with you. Just agree with me in the prayer that I said, Jesus, come into my life. Restore me. Make me whole. Get my relationship back with God. The sin in my life has come between me and God. My own decisions. Would you set me free from this captivity? In Jesus' name, let it be so. 